Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. You guys sound great today. There's energy in this 1030 service. I can't really figure it out. I don't know if you slept in later. You've just had more coffee than the nine o'clock, but man, you sound great today. Even when you were walking in, I, I greeted some of you and you were already excited and uh, that just makes it easier for preaching. So here's what I tell you all the time. The more you talk to, back to me, the shorter I go, okay? So if I feel like you're with me, we're going to get out of here in just a few minutes. But if not, we may never get out of here, all right? So I need a little something back from you today, uh, and we'll be, we'll be having a good time. But uh, I am thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you chose to be here on this Sunday morning. I know there's a million other things you probably could be doing, but you made the right decision to be in church. I'm thankful you chose this church, but you made the right decision to be in church. Uh, there's something powerful about being together and to sing together and worship together. And I know there's a number of you watching online, and we're glad you're here as well, joining us from wherever you may be watching from. But man, there's just something powerful about our church family being together in a variety of different formats, a variety of different places, and just to worship and celebrate the goodness of God. And you know, if you, if you have attended for any length of time, you would have enjoyed our, our G-team huddle this morning, our volunteers. We get together before anybody else comes to church, and we pray for you, we pray over this space, and uh, we just have a lot of fun. We worship together. It's a great, great time to prepare our hearts to serve. But this morning, I had them just turn and kind of grab somebody and tell them how long they've been attending our church. So for some of them, it was like, hey, a few months. For some of them, it was like more than 10 years. We started at a high school uh, in 2012, and we were a campus of an existing church. And then we moved to this location in 2016, and they plant, that church planted us, kind of made us a separate church in 2017. And so we feel like we've been about nine or 10 different churches over the, over the years. But uh, I asked them, hey, tell each other how long you've been at our church. And so they were, there was all over, all kinds of crazy numbers. And, and as we were celebrating that, I was thinking about the fact that some of you who have been here 10 plus years, you kind of look around and you're like, I don't know a lot of these new faces. And some of you, you don't realize because you're newer, you don't realize like how many other newer people there are. So I'll give you just an example. And I know there's a number of people out today and we had a great service before you got here. So you don't maybe know all those people, but let me show you a number. This is 98. This is the number of new people that have connected to our church since January 1st. So like just since the start of the year, absolutely. You've attended, you filled out a connection card, you checked your kids in, given for the first time, joined a group, registered for an event. Uh, and we're thankful for that. Uh, if I was an exaggerating preacher, I'd have said almost 100. But I'm going to tell you exactly how many there are. And uh, 98 of us that are just kind of new to us. And so we're thankful for you. And, you know, back in the fall, we, we switched our service times in January. But it was based on some numbers we saw in the fall where we had a 9.30 and 11 o'clock service. And in those two service times, uh, for about two months or so when we were tracking it, about 65% of our attendance was attending the second service, no, the first service, I'm sorry, the first service. And so it was much larger than our second service. So we, we got some feedback, we talked to some families, we talked to our volunteer teams. And so we decided to just move the service times up 30 minutes from 9.30 and 11 to 9 and 10.30. We felt like that would be a better flow for us because we were having some issues with parking and our G-Kids environments. So we moved the services up 30 minutes and we have completely flipped our problem. And so we, we got the same problems, some of them, but we, we're growing at nine, and we're also growing in this service. And so, you know, you, you find the service that works best for you and your family, but we do have some kind of tensions in our parking lot and some of our G-Kids environment. So if you've got an ability to move to nine, there's a little more room at nine than there is at 1030. And we're not just kind of moving people around. We are trying to create more space for guests to be able to come and to experience just a, a better flow for them as they get in and get out of the building and come and to worship with us. 
And as we continue to grow, we'll add services and add future locations, but we're excited about what God's doing in this season. You heard some great things from Garrett just a second ago, but let me just hit them real quick. Uh, so this coming weekend is our Marriage Matters Conference. And some of you were like, I'm going to wait till it gets close before I register. Well, it's close. You need to register. It's Friday and Saturday, and uh, it's going to be a really great time of just investing in marriages. And so if you are seriously dating, you're engaged, or you're married, we'd love for you to be here. And one of the things I don't know if I've communicated well is if you can't be here for both days, there is an option for you to register just for one day. If you can only come Friday or only come Saturday, you can register just for that at a different cost. And uh, it's going to be a really, really special weekend. We want you here for that. And then on March the 18th, we've got a really great night for the men of our church and community, March Madness, and uh, we'll watch some basketball, we're going to have some fun, we're going to eat some great food. We have Bruce Deal as our guest speaker. He is the uh, kind of founder and CEO of City of Refuge, which is an incredible ministry in the heart of the worst zip code in Atlanta. Just the crime and, and the things that are taking place there, they've just planted themselves there for the last 20 years and are doing incredible ministry. He also is helping, uh, along with some other folks and his family and the ministry there, for House of Cherith, which is an incredible organization that uh, helps to rescue girls and young women uh, out of the trafficking industry and really get them back up on their feet. And, uh, and so I'm so thankful for that. He served on the, the last three uh, tr human trafficking uh, advisory boards for the last three presidents' administration, just nonpartisan, to really help just solve a problem. And uh, he's an incredible speaker, but he's going to be here just to talk to the men of our church. I want you here for that as well. Invite some friends and be here. So today, we're going to jump into a brand new series called Dollars and Cents. Now, here's what I know. I've been in and around the church a long time. I was born on a Tuesday. I was in church on Sunday, all right? So I've been here for a while, and I know when the pastor starts talking about money, people start sweating, all right? So don't sweat. We've turned the air down. You're going to be great. Uh, but here's what I want you to do. Raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. Be like, Pastor, I love you. I, even if you don't love me, just fake it. Pastor, I love you. And I'm, I'm going to listen, and I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to say anything to make you mad, I don't think. If I say something and the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's between you and him. That ain't me. But uh, no, no, no. We're just going to, we're not going to go there. It's just we're going to talk about what the Bible says to us about dollars and cents, about managing money God's way. And we believe that the Bible speaks to this subject uh, really, really well. And, uh, and, and, and we also know that some of you, you may be living in a season right now where this is creating a lot of additional pressure and stress in your home. Let me give you some statistics. Some of you, you're familiar with these because you're living it or have lived it, but the average American has over $25,000 in debt, excluding their mortgage, and that number is rising every month because of inflation, possible recession, as they are unable to pay bills and other expenses. Uh, of those with debt, only 35% have a plan and a timeline to pay off their debt. So they're in debt. Maybe that's where you're at, and you, you don't really know how you're going to get out of debt, only 35% of people do have a plan. 18% of people making over $100,000 annually live paycheck to paycheck. 18% of people uh, that make six figures annually, they still live paycheck to paycheck. The average new auto loan, so if you got a new car in 2022, the average was over $36,000 for that car. If you bought a used car in the last two years, you know that market's not far off either. The average used car in 2022 was over $23,000. The average car payment is $581 per month. Uh, and then on average, people are giving, this is people in general, in and outside of the church, people are giving less than 3% of their annual income to churches, charities, and nonprofits, less than 3%. That last number isn't really a reflection of our heart. I think for most of us, we want to be, desire to be generous and more generous. 
but we don't really have the ability. It's not that we're stingy. We're just strapped. There's a lot of things pulling for our finances and our money. And, and so I want us to look at some of those things today. But before I do, I said this at nine. I mean this with all of my heart. You are an incredibly generous church. You're going to hear some stories that back that up today. You're going to hear some things again next week that really speak to your heart for generosity. And I don't have to say that. Nobody's making me say that. It doesn't help me to say that. But I'm really, I want to help us today to find some freedom and really go to God's word. But let me just say to you a huge thank you out of my heart for how generous you are. You help us to do incredible ministry, and we have big dreams because of your generosity. We're not limited, and we've got bigger dreams uh, to come, and so I'm thankful for that. But let's look at what the Bible says, beginning today in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can probably flip there if you want to. It's in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 6 will be there for a little bit. This is what it says beginning in verse 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I want to read that first line again. It says, those who want to get rich. Now, if you kind of dig into what that phrase in the original language might mean and you look at how these verses play out, this is not just those who want to work a job, those who want to make money, those who want to provide for their family, those who want to do better paying their bills. This is those who are, who are in pursuit of something that is kind of beyond themselves for the wrong motivation. So those who have the wrong motivation related to money. So again, this is not about having money. Money is not evil. The root of, the love of money is that root of where evil starts to exist in our hearts and lives. And so what we're talking about here is what is the motivation of your pursuit to make money? to have money, to manage your money. So those who have the wrong perspective about money, they fall into temptations and traps and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, if that verse said something different at the beginning, if it said those who are left-handed, you know, they plunge themselves in temptations and traps, those who drive blue cars, those, I would just start preaching against left-handedness or blue cars or whatever because I don't want you to fall into temptations or traps or to find yourself in ruin or destruction. But when it says here that those who are in pursuit of something for the wrong reason, those who are in pursuit of riches and finances for the wrong reasons, they do this, like I just got to tell you that breaks my heart as a pastor. And so what I want you to know is that you don't have to do that. You don't have to chase those things. And you have to decide, what is my first love? Who is my first love? And if my first love is God, then Scripture can help guide me about all of the other things that come into and go through my hands so that the love of money does not become some evil device in my life. And so I want to help you to avoid temptation and traps of evil that can come from the wrong view or the wrong perspective about Money. But let's continue reading what it says at the second part of verse 10 of what we just read. It says this, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And maybe you know some people like that. Maybe you yourself in pursuit for eagerness of money, you've actually wandered away from the faith. You've kind of pulled back from your relationship with God and it's all about the natural and all about what you can create and all about what you can make. And that too breaks my heart. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you haven't wandered from the faith, but your eagerness for money and your eagerness for possessions and your pursuit of all the things of this world, they've left you hurting. They've left you pierced. They've left you with holes in you because that pursuit took you somewhere that you never desired to go. And so maybe you walked in here today with that kind of heaviness, that kind of burden, that kind of hurt, 
because of the decisions that you've made or decisions that someone else has made, and you're grieving today because of some of those decisions. But here's good news. Everybody ready for some good news? There is hope in the word of God related to our finances. There is hope. And so if you find yourself grieving, you find yourself heavy today, and you're not really sure how it works out, there is hope today. And so there's a few things that just make sense with our dollars. And I want to hit those quickly in the time that we have remaining. The first of them is income. Everybody say income. Income is what comes in. It all starts with what you bring in. Work is a good thing. Sometimes we look at work as the punishment that God gave to Adam and Eve because we are dreading our Monday to Friday. We're already dreading tomorrow morning and going to work or this week headed back to work perhaps. Or maybe we don't dread it, but it's just like, oh, well, that's just what I've got to do. That's what I've been doing, and I've got to do it long enough until I can retire and get out of this hustle and bustle of the job. And, but, but work is a good thing. There's actually reasons that you should be working. And I recognize that some of us, perhaps you can't work. You find yourself in a season for a variety of reasons that you cannot work. But if you can work and earn money, you should work because that's a good thing. Here's what we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. It says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some of you, or some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Now, don't look at anybody on your road. Don't elbow anybody, right? But the idea here is that, like, if you can be working, you should be working in some form. Maybe it's not full-time. Maybe it's part-time. Maybe you've got two or three side hustles to help you with the normal hustle that's not bringing in what you need to bring in on the income side, but you need to be working. And what we recognize is sometimes idle hands, they get us in trouble. And when we think about being busy, we shouldn't just be busy for busyness sake, but we also recognize that some people who aren't busy, they just become busy bodies. They just hang out on Facebook or they just kind of get in other people's you know, business. They're home all the time. They, they start looking through the blinds and they tell you when everybody leaves their house and comes to their house and who's walking down the street and what's, who's involved in all this. And now some of you really are elbowing your spouse right now. I just saw several of you. See, you're not supposed to do that, right? But what we know is that like, there is something that we're supposed to be doing the example that I use a lot is the idea of a rocking chair. I don't know if you have a rocking chair at your house. I think Cracker Barrel owns them all. But, uh, but rocking chairs, like there's a lot of movement. There's some busyness there, but you're not going anywhere. And sometimes what we do with our jobs is we're not actually progressing in our jobs. We're not actually trying to grow ourselves. We're not actually viewing our job as an instrument that God can use to accomplish something in our hearts and lives or in the hearts and lives of those around us. And I do believe that that's what God is calling us to. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There is something that God has tasked us with. Now, in the kingdom, that is testifying to the good news of the grace of God. But God also can use your vocational life as ministry, as worship, and as purpose in your life. And so if you do look at your job as just a way to get a paycheck, it works. But, but maybe God is calling you to something more than that. And when you think about the will of God and the plans of God for your life, I've always viewed the will of God like the Grand Canyon. Now, don't dig too deeply into this. I'm not trying to set new theological groundwork here. But just the image that makes sense in my mind when I read scripture and the permissive will of God, there are times like the wide places of the Grand Canyon when you say, God, 
what should I do? Should I take this job or that job? And he says, yes, you pick. It's wide. You just keep moving forward. Both of them lead you more towards me. You have the right and opportunity and free will to choose either of those options. Yeah, just move forward. Just go. Just pick the one you like the best. But there are places in the Grand Canyon when it narrows, and you've got to kind of turn sideways and just kind of slide between the rocks or put one foot in front of the other. And those are places when you are saying, God, what should I do? And he says, this. This is my plan for your life. In this season, this is what obedience looks like. And so there are times when you're trying to decide and you're trying to plan and you're trying to understand and discern what God would have for you that he just gives you, hey, you pick. And then there are other times when he says, hey, this is the way forward for me and for you. And I think those are places in our lives when we say, God, what is the task? What is the calling that you're calling me to? What is it you're asking me to do that's about more than just a paycheck, but it would provide income for me, for my family? That's important for us to consider. So the first thing is income. The second thing is expense. Expense. We got some bills to pay. We got some things we've got to spend money on, but... I gave you some statistics earlier. The average American currently, the last statistics I could find, the average American spends 117% of their income. If you're good with math, that means we are spending way more than we earn. So there's more going out than there is coming in. Now, I recognize, again, I want to be sensitive, I recognize that in certain seasons, there are certain things that happen, the income decreases, the expenses go up. And so you just don't have a choice, and you're trying your best to navigate those things. I I recognize that. I want to be sensitive to that. But there are some times that our expenses are just out of whack because we're making poor decisions. We're just spending money on things we shouldn't spend money on. And not only do we spend 117% of our income, but more than 90% of Americans don't have a budget. They don't have a plan. So they don't know where it's going. So we're just spending it, hoping that we don't run out of money before we run out of month. Because we're just trying to like get it through. And, and, and we would love to say that, like, no, that's not, that's not how we're operating. But if we go back to the statistics that we read related to credit card debt, we're, we're just kind of using that to limp along to get through the various things that we've decided to spend money on. And listen, I've been there. This is not me preaching at you. This is kind of us going to God's word to understand the truth of God's word. But we often get in trouble with our expenses because we spend money on things we don't need to buy things, or to spend money on money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Because that's, that's just where we kind of decide to spend our money. Spend money on things we don't need to buy th- to people, spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Everybody just stretch your hands this way and just pray for me. I'm going to get it out here in a second. <laughs> now, there might be times that we have those needs, those things that we we really do have to have to provide for ourselves and for our family. But sometimes it's just about using wisdom to say, what is it that I should be spending? What should I let go out of on the expense line of my life and understanding with wisdom what God would have us to do? But how might our lives be different, not just in seasons of need, not just on the expense lines that are kind of fixed in our life. How might our lives be different if we changed our mindset? Because sometimes we spend money because we're looking around at what other people have and what's going on around us and what we think we're supposed to do and supposed to buy and supposed to... But how might our mindset change? How might our lives be different if we went from, I want these things, to look what I have? I want these... Like, we go from, I lack this in my life, to I have been blessed with these things in my life. It would change our perspective. From, I want 
to I have. Look at, again, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're skipping back a few verses to verses 6 through 8 when it says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And often what happens is comparison becomes the enemy to our contentment. And we compare what other people have and what we don't have and what we think we lack rather than recognizing what we actually have that we've been blessed with. It says right there, if we have food and clothing. Now, let me just remind you again. Let me say again. If you don't have the the necessary things for your life, the food and clothing, like reach out for some help. Don't struggle in that. If we can help you, we will help you. If we can't, we'll send you to some partners that we've connected with and partners. See if they can help you. We don't want you to not have what you should have in food and clothing and the bare necessities of life. But I also recognize that for some of us, it's contentment that drives us to make poor decisions on the expense side. It's not a sin to spend money. So don't view it that way. But be wise on what you spend your money on. Here's the third thing. You got income. You got expenses. And you got savings. Now, this is increasingly more difficult because how can we save if we spend, spend, spend money we don't have, 117% of our income, but we should be saving. This is a biblical principle. Proverbs 21.20 says this, in the house of the wise, there is treasure to be desired and oil stored up, saved up, but a foolish man spends it all. A foolish man spends it all. Now, there's a lot of thoughts on savings here. But some of the leading kind of Christian money management and curriculums that there are, even outside of the church world, they would say, hey, just start somewhere. If you don't have anything saved, let's just start somewhere. Some of the latest studies and statistics would tell you that one in three Americans do not have enough cash to pay for a $400 emergency. One in three. And so what that tells us is there's a lot of us that we don't even have the cash if a rainy day comes. There have been seasons in my life where it just feels like it's raining all the time, right? Can I get an amen right there? And so it's like, well, how do we weather those moments? How do we weather those days and make sure that we have something to help us to to be saved, to be able to process that emergency in ways that won't be detrimental to our family and to our finances? And things are going to pop up when you aren't expecting them, so how do we account for that? you got to save. And so... Again, you can start with $100, $500, $1,000, and then you can move towards paying off debt and all of the various steps that there possibly could be, and then you could try to grow your, your savings after that. But just start somewhere. Just try to save a few dollars a week or a few dollars a month. I remember my dad saying when our kids were being born, like, hey, it's really tough to save money when you have young kids. That was another good spot for an amen, but you're not going to amen me today. I've got it. I figured it out. Okay. And I'm like, well, man, when are my kids going to get old enough that I can save some money? I don't know when that day comes, but we're just believing, you know, by and by that it's going to happen. But it's really difficult to do that. And I recognize, depending on the season of life you find yourself in, maybe that sounds impossible for you. But just find a few dollars a week or a month that you can save. But let me just, there's a different thought on savings that I just want to hit for a second. So let's just put that aside. You need to save. Savings is biblical. Savings is wise. Savings is important. Let's set that aside. I'm going to put that here. I'm going to walk over here so that you see that I'm talking about something else, okay? I'm going to stay here for a minute. We should not view savings as a means to escape our dependence on God. Like when we get to a moment of need, we shouldn't just immediately go and pull the money out of savings. I believe that prayer should be our first response every single time in every situation, So first we go to God and say, God, there's a need. I wasn't expecting it. How do you want to provide? And he may say, I've already provided. 
in the money you're putting away every week or every month. And in your wisdom, the wisdom that I gave you, like it's already sitting right there, let's use that. Or maybe there's some other supernatural means he chooses to use. So we shouldn't view savings as our security against looking to God for our source, right? Let me tell you a story. So a few years ago, I have this friend, her name is Danny, and in that season of time, she was a missionary in Romania. And she said, she tells this story, she said, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do as a missionary. I learned the language, I learned the culture, I raised the money, I got sponsors, I got support. I moved to Romania, I put the money I had in the bank, and I started to build relationships. But she said, early in my time there, it was almost impossible to see fruit in the ministry. Like, I wasn't building relationships the way I'd hoped to. I wasn't seeing salvations and ministry response in the way that I hoped to. And she said, one day I was praying, and I believe that the Lord told me. Let me pause the story. This is Danny's story, not what I'm telling you to do. Unless the Lord's doing that, this is between you and the Lord. But this was her story. She said, I felt the Lord say to me, it's because you have saved so much money over here that you don't have to trust me for the results. She she said that she felt like the Lord said to her, you are still tethered to the United States. You have enough money in savings that if you just decide tomorrow that you want to go back home, you could just pull the money out of savings and fly back home. And so he said, if you will trust me and just kind of cut the cord of that security blanket that you have, watch what I will do. So she emptied the savings account and invested it all in the ministry. And she said at that moment, the ministry started to grow in the way that she was trusting God to do. Now, that's not what I'm telling you to do, but that's what the Lord was telling Danny to do, and she watched God do immeasurably more than she could ask or imagine. So we should never, we should save, but we should never view savings as our security. This is another biblical principle. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11 says this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. So the wealth the, the, the things that we possess, the savings account, the security blanket of our finances or our income or our job, we believe it to be a fortified city and, and no one, no situation, no problem, no circumstance could scale that wall. We are secure. We are safe until something changes. We lose our job. The bills are higher than we expected. There's some unforeseen thing. Or we recognize that we no longer are trusting God as our source and our provider and our security It is not a fortified city. The means, the the money, the savings, all of those things, they are of this world. And what we believe is that God supernaturally should be our source, our security, and our provider. So you got income, you got expenses, you got savings. Here's the fourth one, investing. You got investing. This is where it gets fun if you get here. You're not working for your money. Now your money is working for you. You're putting it somewhere so that it can grow. And you might think, well, this one's not biblical. I would argue that that's not true either. This is also not just for the rich people here on earth to play games in the stock market or do something fun. This is a principle of good stewardship, I believe. Matthew chapter 25, there's a story that, depending on the translation of scripture you're reading, it's the story of a landowner who is leaving to go out of town, and he gives to these three servants either, depending on the translation, either bags of gold or talents depending on the story that you're reading. So he gives to one five bags of gold or five talents. He gives to another two bags of gold or two talents. He gives to another one bag of gold or one talent. And then he leaves and he goes on his trip. The guy that he gave five bags of gold takes that five bags of gold and turns it into five more. The guy that he gave two bags of gold takes the two and turns it into two more. The guy that he gave one is scared that he's gonna lose the one, so he buries it in the ground. Then the landowner comes back home. 
They come and present to their landowner what they have. And so the guy says, hey, you gave me five. Here's 10. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives it back to him. He says, the, the guy that was two, he got two more. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives it back to him. The guy that had one, he said, hey, I knew you were like a harsh man. You didn't want us to lose anything. You wanted us to be careful. So I buried it in the ground. Here's your one back. And the landowner says to him, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. And he takes the one away from him and gives it to the guy who had 10. And you look at that and you go, well, that seems a little unfair. I don't really think that's fair. But look at this in the story. Matthew chapter 25, verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, look at this phrase, and put his money to work and gained five more. There's a stewardship principle here that I think is important for us. But before we get there, verse 27 said it this way. Well then, talking to the guy that had one, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, this probably should have been the whole thesis of everything we're talking about today, but it requires us to change our mindset to believe that what we have actually comes from God anyway. And if we are just stewards of what God is entrusting into our hands, then why would we not want what God has entrusted to us to be multiplied so that we can give it back to him. So investing is not just, again, kind of this natural thing that rich people get to have fun with. It is good stewardship for us to say, I've got income, I've got expenses, I've got savings, but I want to find a way to make the five bags of gold go to work for themselves so that they multiply what God has entrusted into my hands. I want to see it multiply for kingdom purposes. When I think of my money only in the natural Investing is just something nice you might get to do one day. But when I think of my money as what God has given to me, why would I not want it to multiply? So you got income, you got expenses, you got savings, you got investing. Here's the fifth thing. You got giving. You got giving. This is where people start sweating. We've turned the air down. You're not going to sweat. I told you the average American gives just under 3% of their money away. The average Christian, that number is much higher. It's just under 4% of their money away. And I know this is where people, again, get nervous, but there's no reason for you to get nervous. Because you think, perhaps, because you've been in a setting where this is the case, you think what I'm about to do is guilt you into giving money. But that's not my job. And I don't say that in some kind of... That's not, I don't even feel called to do that. I don't feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-8. through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He loves a cheerful giver. You shouldn't give under compulsion. That's not what I feel called to do. I just say, hey, you talk to the Lord, and whatever he says, you give it cheerfully, and if you can't give it cheerfully, you just keep praying until you can, and then you give it. It's just between you and God. And when I said up front, you are a generous church, I mean that with all of my heart. You are. And I'm going to give you some stories here in a second, but I'm also going to give you more of those next week. That's why you should be back. Some of these stories are incredible. But a few weeks ago, I was talking to a guy in our church about something that the Lord had laid on my heart for us to do as a church over the next few weeks and months. And, and I just said, man, I, I want you to pray about it. And I just want you to, you know, kind of ask God what he would have you to give if you're supposed to be a part of this. And the Lord had laid a few folks on my heart that I should ask in a similar conversation. And so he asked me a question and he said, well, how much do you need? 
And I wasn't really prepared to answer that question. So I was like, no, 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 it's not important. Like, just whatever the Lord lays on your heart. And he said, well, but, but how much do you need? And this is like negotiating for a used car or at a yard sale. Like, you don't want to go too low or too high. But I just really felt like the Lord had already kind of put in my heart what, what the need was for. And so I just, I just said a specific amount of money. It was, money. it was a large amount of money. And in my mind, I was like, man, I, just, I don't want to ask for too much. And so I just said, hey, here's, here's, here's what I believe. Here's the number. And he was like, all right, I'll pray about it. And I was like, oh, man, I asked for too much. He's, he's offended. He's mad. He's leaving the church, you know. He was like, I'll pray about it. I'll talk to my wife. We'll, you know, we'll meet in a few days. So a couple days later, we get together. And we're small talking. We're just talking about each other's kids and life or whatever. And he stops me and he says, hey, listen, I just for a second, I just need to go ahead and give you this because if not, I'm only going to be thinking about it the rest of the time we're together. And so he reaches into his kind of shirt pocket and he lays a check on the table, but it's, it's folded. And so he does, I can't see how much it is. He's like, I just need to tell you that whenever you said the amount of money the other day, it was the exact amount of money I felt like the Lord had laid on my heart to give before you said it. I thought, well, isn't that just like the Lord, right? If you need to know, we were eating tacos, we were eating Mexican that's how the Lord works. That's what he does right there. And he was laughing about what God had done. I had teared up. I was crying. I mean, people were probably looking around like, why are there two grown men? One's laughing, one's crying. That, that laughing guy must be mean. And I know him. He is. He's very, very mean. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. When I'm like teared up, I'm like, man, thank you, God. This is how God works. This is what God does. He was cheerfully giving something the Lord was doing through him. What a blessing it was to our church, but I hope and believe and have been praying that it's also a blessing to him and to his family. That's how giving should work, that between you and the Lord, you work out what it is that you're supposed to give. You see a need, and you meet that need. That's the way it works. And here's what I know about God and what he does for generous people. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we've been, it says this beginning in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He supplies seed to who? The sower. He supplies seed to those who are already planting seed. He, he will not only supply seed to the sower, but he will also increase their store of seed, their saving, like what they're waiting to use in the next sowing season. And he will enlarge their harvest. Like that's what God will do. He, he uses their generosity to invest in them because they have shown themselves faithful to continue to sow seed into needs in the kingdom. That's, that's who God is. And that's what our heart is here at this church. You're generous, and because of your generosity, I, I've told you some of this story throughout, but because of your generosity, this coming week, within the next seven days or so, seven to ten days, we're going to send $100,000 to a company as the first step in buying this entire building. We're currently renters. 36,000 square feet. And so we're going to send $100,000. That's the first step for us to buy the building. And so the building is going to cost us $3.9 million. 36,000 square feet is just over $100 a square foot. We negotiated that price. We didn't even know what the Lord was doing. We negotiated that price in 2019 before the market did what the market's done. And so we've been renters all this time, first in a high school, then in this building. And through the wisdom of God and the discernment of our trustees, our leadership, and your faithfulness and generosity, we're ready to take that step. So we're going to send off $100,000 next week, week and a half. 
start that process. But I met with our landlord a few weeks ago, and when I was flying back from the Philippines at the end of January, I, I really felt like the Lord was kind of stirring some things. I was writing some dreams down and some thoughts down about this next season of ministry for our church, and I was praying for you and praying for us and what God would have for us in this next season of ministry. And one of the things that I haven't been able to get away from is that we want to be debt-free as fast as possible. If we were debt-free as a church, if we didn't have to pay rent, we didn't have to pay a mortgage, it would free up about $300,000 a year for us to turn every penny that's given into our church back into meeting the needs of other people. And that's our heart. We don't want to carry long-term debt. And so I was meeting with the landlord, and I was like, hey, we were eating Mexican. If you're wondering, you probably weren't wondering, but we were eating Mexican. And uh, I said, hey, listen, we're going you know, we're, we're to exercise our option to purchase the building in a few weeks. And I said, can I just tell you something that's on my heart? He said, absolutely. I said, I believe that our church is supposed to be debt-free. And so we want to buy the building, $3.9 million, we want to buy the building. But I, I'm praying and believing supernaturally that, that somehow we're just going to own it outright. I said, that can happen one of two ways. I said, the first way is that you could just give us the building. He did that. He just laughed at me. Not in a rude way. He wasn't being mean. I, I just, he just chuckled. I don't know what you talk about over chips and salsa, but I don't think that's what he was expecting when he showed up that day. Like, I'll pay the bill, but $3.9 million, that's a little much. So I just kind of sat there in silence, not offended, but just kind of letting it hang there just to see if the Lord would just do a work in his heart right there for a second. And I just waited. You see how awkward the silence is there for a second? I just, I just sat there. I said, or the second way that that could happen is that we acquire the building, we get the financing that we're working on right now, and we buy the building for $3.9 million. And then supernaturally, God lays it on the heart of one or two or five or ten people to just write a check and we pay it off. And we take every single penny that comes into this place and we put it back into ministry and people and not in facilities. And he was like, I believe that's going to happen. And I want you to tell me when that takes place. I said, or you could just give us the building. <laughs> and he just laughed. But he said, well, when you pay it off, you tell me. I said, okay, I'm going to do that. We haven't closed on the building. I don't know what the Lord might do in his heart or what the Lord might do in someone else's heart or a few someone else's so that we can be debt-free as a church, so that the income can go to the right expenses and we could save money to invest money for kingdom purposes and we can give money away and invest in other churches and other ministries and people. Like, we want to live out these principles as a church, too. And so that's what I'm believing for. But I'm also believing for you individually and your personal finances that if the income's not what it needs to be, that the Lord would provide income. And if your expenses need some management, that the Lord would help to provide wisdom and discernment and budgets and all of the things or just the proper wisdom and discernment to make hard decisions and your expenses would come in the line. And you'd have the ability to save money so emergencies didn't hurt so bad. And you could invest money and it would multiply for kingdom purposes. And you could give money away and you would just be a conduit of the blessings of God that whatever comes to you, you find ways to invest it in the kingdom. That's what I'm praying for you. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around. If you would say, you know, Jeremy, for me, 
I mean, you, you haven't really been talking about this, but you're talking a lot about God and managing money God's way, but I'm not in a relationship with God. And I, I want to be. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior, forgive my sins, lead and guide my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. And put it right down as soon as you do. Thank you so much. And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, it's about money management. I, wanna, I want my dollars to make sense. And I want the Lord to help me, to have wisdom. I need some help on the income side or the expense side. Or I need to save some money. I need to invest some money. I want to give more. But I just want to manage my money God's way. And I need his help. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? A number of hands today. A lot of us in the room. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for our time and time of worship and prayer and communion, reflection of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You led the way in this. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so, God, we thank you for giving Jesus to us. And, God, I pray today for every person that needs to acknowledge or has acknowledged their need for you, that you would forgive their sins and be the Lord of their life. God, now I pray that you would help those who lifted their hands to say, I've, just, I've got some needs in the area of money management. Income, expense, savings, investing, giving. Lord, whatever their need, would you meet that need? And actually, Lord, would you exceed that need? God, would you provide for the income side? Would you help them on the expense side? Would you let them be able to save a few dollars or provide some money that they can put away for savings? Lord, would you give them the opportunity to invest? you give them the opportunity to give at the level that they desire to give. Lord, I pray that for every individual and every family that's a part of our church. And God, I also pray that for our church. Lord, we believe that you've ordained our steps to get us to this place. And the few stories that we've told today and the stories that we will tell next week, Lord, I pray that you would help those just to be seeds for what you desire to do. And Lord, we pray for your wisdom to take these next steps, to purchase this building. And Lord, we want to be debt-free, and we believe you can provide for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.